This is a unique podcast exploring the criminal justice system and those involved and affected. We'll educate and expose the public as well as potential jurors to what takes place behind the scenes of those who are facing the system. Your host owns a litigation support firm called Justice Technology Professionals, and he works on criminal and civil cases offering support to defendants and counsel. What you're about to hear is an open dialogue opening the minds to the public to what takes place in reality as opposed to what you think takes place ladies and gentlemen welcome to the justice tech pros podcast here's your host dominic crea hello listeners hope everybody's doing all right and enjoying the uh, beginning of their week I wanted to get an episode out as it's it's been a minute since my last one. It's actually been about a month. Um, as I always say, sometimes it gets a little difficult to find the time to devote to the podcast. So other things take priority. But I do make notes and I try to cover certain things that pop into my head throughout uh, various days as they come up. I'll make little notations and then I try to incorporate them into the podcast. So I had a few things I wanted to uh, cover today. Um, uh, I guess they'd be like random topics. They're, they're jumping around a little bit on different different items. So I'm going to uh, dive in. I wanted to really talk today because I was just thinking about the overall picture of, of what my goals are. What's my purpose really for being on here and for doing what I'm doing. And at, at the simplest definition... It's really just trying to educate future jurors in hopes that defendants um, are, are able to receive a fair trial, whereas the juror could kind of hang up at the door any of their preconceived or predetermined biases or opinions they may have about defendants. And I, I try to appeal to the public in a sense that if they are going to take on the responsibility for jury duty, I appeal to them just to have an open mind and and really follow through on what their responsibility is as a juror and try to remember uh, the reasonable doubt explanations and the um, threshold it is to reach reasonable doubt and to reach feeling someone is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. So all of my episodes kind of go in line with that overall theme theme where I'm trying to connect with the listeners, potential jurors, members of the public, just so they're aware of certain aspects of what goes on that they may not have previously been aware of. Uh, When you enter that courtroom, you're not aware of what goes on to get to that point, and you're not aware of things that may have taken place beyond the scenes or pretrial motions and things like that. So it's important for the general public just to understand that process so when they're sitting and they're going to determine somebody's fate, they understand as well as they could that there's a larger picture at play. So it's important that they do pay attention to the details. They pay attention to what is uh, being displayed and exhibited in in front of them during the proceedings. And perhaps look at things with a bit of a, a larger lens, not just based on what the prosecution's showing them trying to understand what they're not seeing. And that's why I talk about how all of items and all of things may have been brought to the court's attention, 
whereas maybe the defense wanted to ask about a uh, an informant's background or dive into the uh, criminal acts they have may committed and actions they have may have been responsible for in their past. I try to enlighten the viewers to understand that who's in front of them testifying, a lot of the times these lying informants are nothing more than that, just a lying individual who is looking to shift accountability. So I try to, to expose what goes on after the testimony, right? How they conduct themselves. We have the ability now to, to, to track them online, to see how they conduct themselves, to, to see if they're threatening people, abusing people. And all those things are important because it'll make a, a potential juror ask themselves when they are faced with an informant and they're trying to de uh, determine if this person's lying, if they have agenda, they'll keep in back of their head how the majority of these informants live their life after they're done fulfilling their obligation to the government and they're done exchanging lies for their freedom. And it's important that the public is aware of those steps and they're aware of how they conduct themselves. And, that, and that's really how this whole thing came together. What I wanted to, the message I wanted to share with the listeners, what I really wanted to focus on, it's all around that same theme of just bringing awareness to the public, bringing awareness to listeners, and making those who listen a little more informed as to what takes place, what goes on, things you don't read about, and to understand that sometimes textbook law is way different than what really plays out in the courtroom. And it, uh, the overall theme oftentimes segues into what I try to put an exclamation point on. And what I try to do is, as I've explained many, many times throughout my podcasts, I like to let the listeners know that it's irrelevant how anybody feels about somebody who's an informant. Um, whether you want to call them a snitch, stool pigeon, whatever the terminology it's irrelevant. There's different, there's different um, levels of strictness that everybody has. Some people are just completely anti-informant. Uh, I'm one of those individuals. Now, am I right or am I wrong? I don't know, but it's irrelevant. That's just my personal opinion. It's just not that something I align with. I believe if you choose to do something, if you um, know, know the perils going into something, and you sign up for something, well, that's on you. You, you, you. We're all grown individuals, all grown adults. You, we make our own choices. So I, I just feel somebody, if you make a choice, then you should stick to the choice and you shouldn't look to have somebody else pay for your sins based on you wanting to avoid accountability because you just don't have it in you to, to stand up for and to take the punishment that anybody else would get unless you're an informant. So I have my reasons for being against it. And I never get into that. I never harp on it because that's irrelevant. At the very least, I tell the listeners, you do want the person telling the truth. The public doesn't want to be lied to. So if you're deciding somebody's fate, you want to be sure that the person in front of you making claims about it in the individual is being honest. And um, we push back centers around that a lot. And that's what actually led me to start it. I saw a lot of content creators that had similar ideology as mine, where they felt the lies were unacceptable, the behavior of these informants and what they're doing is unacceptable, the bashing that they do to people is unacceptable, the threatening that they do to people online is unacceptable. Um, 
bashing of family members of the defendants, making fun of people, uh, claiming people, uh, basically trying to get people jammed up by claiming they're doing illegal activities all on the internet. There's people against that. So I saw a group of that, and that's how that whole spiel began. I don't need to get into that. I've done plenty of episodes. I explained it very thoroughly on Frank Morano. Uh, myself and Mob Rats Exposed had a lengthy conversation about it last week, and I believe I made the point clear of what the goals are. Those who get it, get it. Those who don't, don't. It's not for them. There's nothing wrong in that. It's not. Some things are not for you. It's not for you. And I understand that the opposition starting their own uh, cause, I guess they want to call it. Hey, more power to you. My only recommendation, you really shouldn't be do, using a threatening remark in your hashtag, but, you know. To each their own. It it only uh, exemplifies the point that every move they make has to go along the lines of degeneracy or a lie or intimidation or threat. So it kind of all fits the tune. So to each their own. But again, this is nothing of a surprise. I didn't come on here thinking everybody was going to be like, oh, this is great. We all love it. I knew there'd be heavy opposition. It's just the way it goes. I've even seen with my own eyes. I've seen supporters who started out supporters and they were all gung-ho and then they, they just don't align anymore. So that's how it goes. You're going to gain supporters. You're going to lose supporters. There's going to be people maybe I interacted with in the past that I won't interact with anymore. Because with me, I'm a little different than some of these other content creators. I, I just look at it like if somebody's not worth my time and it's not really somebody I want to be around... I just don't engage with them. I just want nothing to do with that person. Uh, I like to have conversations in person. So if it's something um, that's that's warranted, where you know you want to have a debate face to face, then that's the way to handle it. There's a lot of people that I would like to talk to face to face because they have a lot to say, but I won't do it on the computer. To me, that it's just not my style. I'd rather do a face to face. So if they're that. Uh, if they have so much they want to vent, they should at least have the, the, the spine to come do it face-to-face, right? If not, then don't talk about it. But I know that's not a reality because they are comfortable. A lot of people are comfortable uh, talking about it on their computer and talking tough and throwing insults, trying to impress people. That's what they do. I'm not here to impress anybody. I'm not here to win anybody over. I'm here to say what I feel. Fortunately, built a beautiful community based on those who align the same way. And it's a great thing. I'm very proud of, uh, of uh, some of the relationships uh, that I'm building on here and the people I'm meeting and the friendships I'm building. And um, it, that's a positive aspect that I really didn't anticipate. Uh, I didn't factor that in. I thought I'd just be on here uh, more just putting out my episodes in the background. I didn't realize it'd be that interactive. And I didn't realize I'd meet a lot of people, good people, solid people uh, that I align with. Um, and when I say a lot, I don't know if it's a lot or not, but there are people that I align with, good people, a lot of great supporters. So I'm very grateful for that. Very grateful for that aspect of it. That was a nice surprise. One thing that the chain of events recently with different content creators that sparked a uh, correlation within my mind is how you can see lies spread, people get behind them, and they become an issue. They become something that has to be dealt dealt with. And on the flip side of that, it made me relate it to how lies could create a case. You get, 
and I noticed that you have a lot of these lying informants and their supporters are very similar. They'll take lies and try to get more to run by. They'll say a lie and the other one will swear to it. Now, when you think of it on the bigger, on the bigger scale of item of, um, of that process, say you have the same type of individuals with similar character where they're willing to lie about people just because they don't like them. Now, you get four or five of those individuals who are friends, they get together, and they want to create a lie. You could build a case created on lies. You get one person lying, you get another person to corroborate that first person's lie. Now, now it parlays into something serious, all based on lies. And I think the uh, litmus test for that on YouTube, you could see how these lies spread. Now, if you equate that to the judicial system, and how you may get lying informants who are going in one after the other in front of a uh, grand jury. The grand jury is only hearing their side of things. And the grand jury, obviously, if they're only hearing negative, negative, they're going to come to the conclusion that somebody did something wrong and indictments need to be uh, put out there. And it's a similar process. And that's why I really have a problem with a lot of these prosecutors and a lot of these investigators and law enforcement, I feel like the vetting process just isn't, I, I almost feel like when they have an eye on a prize or they have an eye on a target, they lose sight of the vetting process. They're not making sure that these people coming to them and, and saying these things are being truthful. They don't investigate it to uncover whether it's false or whether it's accurate. And I, and I know they must have not investigated on certain cases I wor worked on because when you compare the discovery there's a ton of contradictions based on a lot of these informants' testimonies or their 302s. Now, if the defense is seeing that, obviously the prosecution seen that, law enforcement seen that, and the same way we saw the contradictions, they would be able to. But it's almost as if they're so blinded with wanting to get that win or wanting to get the target because they feel somebody's a bad person, they look over that. And I think that's the disconnect. It's the, um, th there's no accountability. The reason why they're able to look over that is because even if they get it wrong, they go through trial, they waste that time, they ruin somebody's life, and they get it wrong, and it comes out later that they got it wrong, it, it, okay, so what? They got a loss. It ain't a, it's not a big deal. Nothing they, did, nothing they did based on their actions will affect them adversely in life. And, that, and that's a big problem. There was, uh, there's been a lot of talk about that, even within the legal system itself where judges are actually saying that that's a problem. Prosecutions, prosecutors need to be held accountable. They, that prosecutorial immunity is a problem. And this is a problem that a lot of people are seeing. This isn't a new idea of mine. I'm just talking about it. This has been going on for a while, and a lot of people who believe in the Constitution see it, and they want to make some changes. There was an article in the Boston Review, uh, June 20th, 2020. I just want to read a line, a line from that article. It's a good article if you get a chance. It's called Hold Prosecutors Accountable Too. It's from the Boston Review. Uh, it was written in uh, June of June 22nd, 2020. And just one line that, um, that I believe sums it up is through one of the paragraphs, and I'd like to read it. It says, Prosecutors bring the legal charges that support arrests. They also ignore unconstitutional police work act out their racial beliefs on juries, and commit varying levels of unconstitutional to illegal conduct, conduct themselves in their zeal to win cases. So basically they're saying they'll do whatever it takes to win a case, whether it's illegal, whether it's unconstitutional, they're going to do it to win the case. 
and, and that's the truth. And that's the problem that we see on so many different levels, uh, so many different cases where you read about. All you got to do is watch Dateline on Friday or 2020 on Friday or 48 hours. They're always doing cases where something went wrong. Not always, but some of their segments are cases where something went wrong. Somebody innocent wound up uh, going away. And that's really, that was one of the things I saw that's a big problem. It's you're finding out after the fact. So I thought to myself, what can I do to try to help shape that a little or change it a little, even if it's a minuscule impact, which is what I'm doing now. I, I don't fool myself. I know this isn't on a grand scale. It's, it's a, a minimal contribution, but hey, at least it's something. And I figured, well, why wait for it to show up on Dateline or... 48 hours, because so many of these cases, when they'll talk to the jurors, oftentimes the jurors will say, well, if I knew this, I wouldn't have convicted. If I was aware of this, I wouldn't have done that. And, and it's no fault of their own. They weren't aware of certain things intentionally. A lot of times the government or the state, they'll leave things out. We know how it goes. I've spoken about that on, on different cases. They'll leave things out intentionally. And if the juror was aware of these items, the verdict would have been different. So to me, that's, that's a problem because by the jurors saying if they were aware of something, that tells me that they didn't have all the, all the evidence or the facts that they really needed to have to render a fair decision. And how can you convict somebody beyond a reasonable doubt without those facts? And that's the problem within the system. And there's many things going on on the system and for trying to change the system. There's a lot of organizations, the NACDL, the Innocence Project, where they're trying to change things on a grander scale and an appropriate level. Uh, my focus is on the smaller scale and to appeal to the public because I feel the public is the one that holds the power. Things could be tied up in red tape for years and years to change um, laws, to add amendments, to change rulings. It could be tied up. So what could I do in the interim? I could appeal to the public try to enhance the jury base, try to give the jury and, and the listeners out there a little more ammunition, uh, a little uh, extra tools in their, in their toolbox so they're more well-equipped. That's all I'm, I'm trying to do. And um, I, I believe in these two and a half years I've been on here, I've been able to do that on, on, on a small scale. I've been able to do that based on the responses I get, the comments, the, the emails. A lot of people are engaged, a lot of people are learning things they weren't aware of, and a lot of people appreciate having brought to light, which is something that is normally shrouded in darkness. People appreciate that, and that's what I try to do. And I'll tell you, what really makes me understand that what I'm doing is needed is by reading a lot of the comments on my videos, on different videos. A lot of the members of the public, they just feel... They have that same common theme. If they believe somebody's bad, whether they're guilty or innocent of the charges, they should be in jail. Now, that's their right. That's how they believe. But that part of society should not be included in the jury system because that's not the responsibility of a jury and that's not how a juror is supposed to analyze a case. They're not supposed to come to a verdict based on believing someone's a quote-unquote bad guy. You have to make sure that the charges that are being brought up against this person are legitimate and that the uh, individual is guilty of the, the crimes that they're accused of within that trial. And oftentimes than not, the prosecution 
And the government will really build their case just based on having the jury believe, well, listen, they may not be guilty of this, but these are bad people. They need to be in jail. They won't obviously say that, but they'll do it in such a way. They'll talk about their history. They'll bring in uh, people to say, oh, yeah, this guy is supposedly this bad person. They'll bring in individuals to support that, just planting the seed in the juror's mind so the juror doesn't understand there's a bait and switch game going on. They're switching out the importance of the evidence for the charges that the defendant's up against versus their reputation. And they're kind of switching the atmosphere so that the juror believes, well, if they feel that person's just a bad person or guilty of something, they should vote guilty. And that's not how the system works. And that's why they do it in such a way with sleight of hand to almost fool the jury. Um, that's what I believe. Uh, I could tell by the verbiage. I could tell by what they do, how they paint it out, how they map out the case. They use that as part of their, as part of their um, solidifying the fact that they could feel comfort that this juror is going to convict somebody. Not so much based on them having a strong case, but based on the juror believing the defendants are not good people. And that's a problem, and that's why I try to come on here and talk and remind jurors that's not what your job is. Your job is not to send somebody away based on you thinking they're a bad person. Now, I know a lot of people believe that, as I said, based on comments, the way people talk in forums, the way people talk um, online. I, I know that a lot of people don't believe that. People just want to put away whoever they deem is bad. And, and that's just how it goes. But again, my appeal is not for those individuals. My, my purpose is not really, they're not my audience. They have their mind made up. My audience is more the open-minded person, someone who wants to be a more informed jury juror, somebody who does respect the criminal justice system, somebody who holds the Constitution in high regard, and someone who believes that anybody who is in the system, at the very least, they need to get a fair trial as was de designed and outlined by the Constitution and by the proceedings and by the books and by the textbook, it should all play out that way. So that's what I try to harp on and what I try to remind future jurors and even the public uh, about. And if you notice these uh, lying informants, what they're allowed to do, they're allowed to go on their podcast and spread lies and talk about people that aren't even indicted, aren't even um, a defendant. And for me, what I think that is, that's all intentionally done. They, they're doing these things to put out in the atmosphere, okay, this one's a bad person. So when the time comes, the same way I'm trying to educate jurors and I'm trying to let them know of their rights and I'm trying to let them know they need to look at the big picture, they're doing it a little differently. They're actually trying to influence jurors. They're trying to tell jurors, this one's a bad person. This one's not a good person. This one's a supposed organized crime member. They're trying to paint pictures of people and label people before they're even in the system. They're trying to plant these seeds about individuals just based on their name, based on the informant saying so. They're trying to um, influence the, the public persona or the public opinion, I should say, of the, the person that's the topic of interest. And... What I try to do is counteract that. They're doing it. They've been doing it for years. That's what they do. They go on there. They do all these things. They tell their stories. They try to impress people. They talk tough. They threaten people. They mock families. What I try to do is remind the public, listen to all sides. Yeah, listen to all their nonsense. Listen to everything they're spewing on their channel. But also listen here. 
Listen to other members of We Push Back and the information they're putting out. Listen to personal experiences. Listen to what goes on. Then make a, a conclusion. Then make a determination. I want them to hear all, all pieces of the puzzle. All the information they, they could hear, the better. The more information, the more equipped they will be to judge a case fairly. And for years and years, it's only been negative on so, within social media. They have, they have platforms and forums devoted just to talking about people and who's supposedly in this organized crime and who's not and who's, who's committing these acts. And that's all people do all day. They'll go in these forums, they'll write stories, they'll put out stuff. That's all they do. That's their focus. And then you have the listeners and, and the ones interacting, the commenters. And they're going back and forth, and and it's it's always circled around the um, the guilt factor of people. So what I try to do is just put out some opposition to that, put out a different side to those things, and get get it back to really where you have, regardless of what you think about somebody, when you're talking about the system and going through the system, I just try to remind people that it's very important the facts of a case that's brought against a defendant match up to their guilt. If the facts don't tie them into their guilt based on the case, well, now you have to think about, is this person guilty of those charges? Again, I'm not saying... And that's why they say guilty or not guilty. They don't say guilty or innocent because you're not saying someone's innocent. People could say, ah, well, they're not innocent, but the, the, the state or the government did not prove their case. And that's what it's about. The burden of proof is on the state or the government, to prove. And unfortunately, as we know, it doesn't play out that way. It's really the other way around. It's guilty until proven innocent. You really have to prove your innocence. You know, technically, in the court, when you're going through the system, the defense does not even have to put up a case, technically, because the burden of proof is on the, uh, on the uh, prosecution. So when it comes time for the defense to do their case... Technically, they don't have to. They could just say, no, we rest. The prosecution didn't uh, prove beyond a reasonable doubt. But how are you going to do that? How are you going to put that into the hands of 12 other people that you are confident that those people realize the burden of proof had to be on the prosecution? That's where the burden of proof was. And it doesn't really work that way. The jury will look at it like, why aren't you defending yourself? Where's your case? Because they want to weigh both sides. They don't go into that courtroom thinking, okay, this is an uphill battle for the prosecution. They got to really prove beyond a reasonable doubt. Jurors do not look at it that way. They look at it, they walk in, they see the defendant. Unfortunately, they have that defendant guilty as soon as they see them sitting in the defendant's box. And then it's up to the defendant and the defense team to prove the innocence. That's just the reality, folks. So I try to come on here and help those prove their innocence. And use what's necessary to show the lies if they're up against lies. To show the flaws. So that that's my always been and will always be my focus. The other thing I see play out a lot is you have a lot of people commenting where they'll, they'll look to blame lawyers a lot. And trust me, I'm not defending lawyers. I could probably count on one hand lawyers that I trust and I think are really in it for the defendant. And I'm not saying they're, they're not out there. I just mean the ones I've, I've encountered. I could probably count them on one hand that I believe are really solid attorneys that care about the client and they're fighting for the right reasons, and it's not just a money grab. Again, I'm sure there's many out there. I've, I've met some that I haven't worked with. They were very nice people. Unfortunately, it's just uh, th that's the fact. People oftentimes 
have issues with the attorney and they feel the attorney didn't do a job. Now, the problem with that, a lot of people will assume, oh, well, the attorney didn't do their job. They should have did this. You have the Monday night quarterbacks, right? They should have did this. They could have did that. They know everything after the case is over. Well, what they fail to realize is pretty much everything that they're suggesting to be done was done. They'll be like, oh, why didn't you get a judge removed? Okay, it's done. It's called a recusal motion. They don't realize that a recusal motion is put in during the pre-motion phase of the case, pre-trial motion phase of the case, and the judge will then rule whether or not they're going to recuse themselves or not. So they don't know what took place. Or they'll say, well, why didn't the, why didn't the uh, defense bring in this information about the informants before the case? Again, they don't understand how things play out. You have to ask permission to ask certain questions. You have to ask permission to get approval to question certain informants about their past, about things they've done. I spoke about cases, and I've put examples on the, my channel, where you had Frank Pesqua Jr. We weren't allowed to talk about 90% of what he was doing. Uh, and, I, and I can't still talk about it because a lot of it's under protective order. But you've seen the video I put out where he got arrested for drugs and all the lies and how he went on Vlad saying lies. My point just is, you can't really bring a lot of that out. You'll, you'll present it to the judge, you'll ask if you can, and the judge will either deny it or allow it. Uh, people don't realize so much of that is controlled before trial even starts. Even on experts, I've done cases on that where the defense will want to put in an oppositional expert uh, to go against the prosecutorial expert or the prosecution's expert. And oftentimes the judge will, will knock out the defense, putting in an oppositional expert. And when you think about that, I just don't understand how these things are fair, where they could be, where a defense team is stripped of their right for putting on somebody opposing, opposing claims being made. I just can't wrap my head around it. I know it's done. I've seen it done. Look up cases done all the time. It's just hard to really wrap your head around. And I've even done a show on that on a Dateline episode, and it was a high-profile case where the person wasn't allowed to use their experts. And it really is the, these little things that take place that a lot of times the Monday night quarterbacks don't realize when they try to say, oh, they should have did this, they should have did that. They don't realize all these things were done. They should pull up the case on the docket, go through Pacer and look at every motion that was submitted before they decide what should and shouldn't be done. And they don't realize that uh, often... Um, everything that they wanted to do just did not play out in court. They weren't able to bring that. And that's where you get into the appeal and you get into Rule 33 and you get into all this after-trial uh, submissions and memos to try to clear up the damage that was done. And it takes a long time and it's taxing and that's the position they put you in. And, and to get back to my point about why the jury isn't aware of lot, a lot of these uh, lying informants, what their true character is. Because when they're on the stand, and I've spoke about this, when they're on the stand, they're in their best form, they've been prepped, they've rehearsed, it's a different persona than who that individual truly is. And I'm going to give you a little bit of an update. I'm going to do an episode on this. Uh, I requested the minutes, but I'm going to give you a little bit of an update. There was the informant Frank Pesqua Jr., who was one of the main informants responsible for the indictment. So he was one of the main informants who testified in front of the grand jury, told them a ton of lies, which we were able to prove based on the discovery and which will be part of the appeal. 
but went told a ton of lies to the grand jury. We asked to see the grand jury minutes. We couldn't. The guy's a low life. He's a complete garbage pail. And I just want to read something that hit the docket. And I requested the minutes, so I'm going to follow up in more detail. I'm going to do an episode on it. But I just want to give a point. All these guys say they're changed. He was on Vlad saying he changed and he wants to do this. He wants to do that. wants to change his life, right? Okay, sounds great. Guess what? On April 21st, 2022, this is what hits the docket. Minute entry for proceedings held before Magistrate Judge Andrew E. Kraus. Preliminary hearing as to Frank Pesqua Jr. held on 4-21-2022. The defendant is advised of the violations against him, is arraigned on the violation of supervised release, and denies the specifications. The court appoints Michael Burke to represent the defendant for purposes of today's presentment only. Revocation hearing before Judge Roman scheduled for May 13th, 2022 at 11 a.m. Preliminary hearing date 5-5-2022, bail detention arguments heard. Defendant detained. Status conference set before set for 5-13-2022 before Judge Nelson Stephen Roman. So what does that tell us, folks? Apparently this guy violated his parole, his supervised release. So he's probably doing drugs or something, but either way, he violated that. We're going to get the minutes from that. And again, that all helps our Rule 33. So these guys are always going to be... The majority of these guys are always going to be who they are. Just someone who wants to never be accountable, continue to break the law, and tell lies. And that's it. And go on the internet and act like a tough guy and threaten people and be tough and throw punches and talk about crazy stories. That's who these individuals are. And it plays out time and again. It just keeps playing out time and again. And here we are again an example where the government's saying how trustworthy this individual is and he went in front of the grand jury and now here you are again getting violated again and if you remember in the episode I did with this guy when he was working with the uh, with the FBI he was still committing crime he was selling drugs in jail it's it's ridiculous but I'm going to do an episode just on that I'll go over the minutes and we'll dive into that once I get the uh, transcript the other thing I wanted to touch on uh, just another update on the case of United States versus Stephen Crea, Matthew Madonna, Christopher Londonio, and Terrence Caldwell. Uh, things are moving in a positive direction. Um, we were notified that there will be a hearing to discuss the Rule 33. Now, that's a good, now I'm not saying it's great, but it's positive. It, this could have simply just been denied, and the answer could have been taken up with the appellate court. That's not what's going on here. I believe the severity of the issues raised is recognized. I believe that it's understood that these are serious issues that would have swayed the verdict, would have swayed the jury's opinion. And I believe the judge understands that and is taking it seriously. So that's positive. Once um, certain things go public... I'll get into the details of that as well, but just a quick update, that's that's moving along on the positive direction, and again, ladies and gentlemen, it has to do with what I've been saying for two and a half years, it's very important to keep track of 
if you are impacted by a lying informant, it's very important to keep track of what they're doing. What is their footprint online? What message are they doing? Are they truly turning over a new leaf? Or are they telling stories that now contradict what was said in the 302, was said in the trial testimony? Are they continuing to commit criminal acts after the fact? Was their personality one on the stand that was humble and put together and professional versus their persona on the internet, which is to threaten people, to lie, to bash family members, to attack family members, all things that are very important to keep track of. Grab their comments, grab their remarks, grab everything and anything. It can't hurt to have it. You never know when it could help you, help a defendant, help somebody you care about, help a client. You never know. It can't hurt to house it. We house all those that information. We've been able to help different attorneys that I'm not even involved in on the case. Uh, these last few months, I, I got to say, my office has been getting and fielding a lot of requests from attorneys I've never known, never met, defendants I don't know, just asking for some advice, some guidance, some information. And that's what defense teams should be doing, is trying to help one another to help the defendants. Unfortunately, I got to be honest, the defense team world is a little cutthroat. <laughs> you get a lot of people, they don't want to share stuff, they don't want to help because they want all the accolades, you know. For me, I was never the person to care much about the accolades. That doesn't mean much to me. What's important to me is what am I accomplishing? Who am I helping? Or what am I doing in life? What am I, what am I able to do because of my efforts? And how did that pay off? Am I able to help my family? That's really how I weigh certain things I do. Am I able to help somebody I care about? That's what's more important to me. But uh, not so much with a lot of these uh, defense attorneys. Let me tell you, a lot of them. They got big egos. And, I, you know, I, I get it, I guess. But me, I think it should be more about teams helping each other. And we have a lot of, uh, I, I've built a nice network of quality attorneys where we do help each other. Everybody's on the same page. Uh, but I didn't realize uh, how cutthroat it was in a lot of ways. I've been in business, which has always been cutthroat, different areas of business. And this ranks right up there. This ranks right up there. I, I would think if you're on the same team, it wouldn't. But that's not the case. That's not the case. The other thing I just want to talk about, um, which isn't really so much related to what I normally do on Justice Tech Pros, but I just wanted to add a little segment to it, and it has more to do with the we pushback and the content creators. I, you know, I understand a lot of times content creators pop up and people, uh, and they'll create a lot of noise and people want to see what they're all about. All I can tell you is this. The way I handle things is I, I like to sit back. I like to see the long run of how people conduct themselves. I like to see who they interact with, who they engage with over time, and what their beliefs are. Because we've all seen many times people come on saying they believe one thing, but their actions show something completely different. I've even seen it with supporters. I've had some supporters that I was friendly with where they were... They would tell me they aligned, they told me that, and then I see them doing things that really aren't for me. And listen, I would never um, judge. It's just, it's on YouTube. You don't really know who people are the way I look at it. Okay, uh, just difference of opinion, and that's not really somebody I want to engage with anymore. If I see things I'm not crazy about, I don't, I don't look to bash them or attack them. I just don't engage with them. As far as I'm concerned, we just don't have anything in common. You do your thing, I'll do mine. That's, that's really how I look at it. Uh, the majority of situations online uh, because that's how I am in real life. If I don't have something in common with somebody, I really don't associate with them. 
um, on a personal level. In business, whole different ball game. You have to do business with a lot of people, um, and, and and it doesn't get personal on YouTube. It's a little odd. Uh, people will say that they're, they're making business moves, but they're getting very vested relationship-wise, and, and oftentimes than not, they get disappointed, you know, uh, because you can't really gauge somebody, I guess. You don't really know what somebody's about. So I see that I just cho uh, choose to disengage. Uh, there's people that maybe I used to be more friendly with at the beginning that I don't really interact with anymore because I've seen comments they've made. I've seen shows they go to, and it's just not for me. That's all. It's just by their comments and their actions, I see where their true alignment is, and I just realize, all right, maybe they're just telling me what I want to hear. So to make things easier, I just disengage. They don't got to worry about uh, pretending to believe in something they don't, and I don't got to worry about um, interacting with somebody who I know is just not being truthful with me. And that, that's the easiest way for me anyway. I just remove myself. And a lot of that's going to exist within We Push Back. We're building members almost every week. I get requests. Some make it, some don't. And there's going to be a lot of different personalities, a lot of different styles, a lot of different material. There may be material I don't agree with, I don't align with. It's not really the way I do things. But I, I, I recognize the fact that we're all individuals and we're all unique and we all have our own creative output that we like to use and our own style that we like to implement. I recognize that. So I never judge somebody based on, well, they're doing things I don't do. That's not how I judge somebody. I judge their demeanor. I judge who they are as a person, and I judge, um, I judge how they treat me. I judge, I judge a lot of ways. Now, with that said, uh, that leads me to my other point, which I see a lot on here, which is a little baffling to me. People will use the line, well, I treat them how they treat me. And I agree with that to an extent. If I know somebody's a low-life degenerate, or uh, a pedophile or a lying informant. I don't care how they treat me. They could treat me as nice as, as pie. I'm not going to have anything to do with them. I'm just going to ignore them. I'm not going to be nasty with them. I'm not going to fight with them. I'm just going to ignore them as if they didn't exist. Won't even acknowledge them. That's just how I am. I can't go by, you know, if somebody's a degenerate and they're doing degenerate things, but they're nice to me, I'm not the type of like, ah, well, he's nice to me, even though he's a degenerate. I just look at it like, nah, this isn't somebody around, one around, around me. I don't even want to talk to this person. I won't even acknowledge them. And I see that play out a lot on these different YouTube channels, and it does create uh, a lot of uh, a, a dynamic, uh, not, a, not a positive dynamic. You have people fighting, which I understand, because you'll get somebody saying, well, this guy's a low life. Why are you dealing with him? Everybody looks at it differently. I think people need to just take a step back and maybe just practice that more. You know, we, if you don't align with somebody, you don't agree with somebody, you don't even got to address them. Just knock them out of their out of your life. You could even block them, I believe, on uh, YouTube. I don't really block anybody because that's just not my my move. The only time I remove people and block them is when they come on uh, my channel and they're not looking to have a uh, a reasonable debate. They're just casting insults, attacking maybe other we pushback members, attacking myself, attacking my family. That's nothing productive. I don't want that person on my uh, on my channel. I don't even want them around me. If, as I always say, if they feel that strongly, there's so many ways they could get a hold of me and they could tell me everything they got to say face to face. That's the best way to handle that. If somebody has you that vented, that aggravated, and they're accessible, as I'm making myself accessible, well, come air it out face to face and we'll go from there. We'll both have a debate in person. We'll both say what we have to say. I'm sure if you're saying some nasty things, 
I'll have some choice words as well face to face. I just don't do it in this. Uh, this is not the atmosphere for it or the platform for it in my, in my uh, way of viewing things. And my style is really just to, to disengage. Uh, I don't like to influence other people's chats. I don't like to influence somebody's channel. Um, I, I just want to disengage. And uh, that's what I do. If I go on somebody's channel, I try to tr show them some support. If there's somebody on there I really don't want to be around or I'm just, they're not for me, I'll just leave. Um, th that's the best way to handle it. If it's not for you, just, just leave. I think too many times people get wrapped up into relationships on here and who's friends with who. And if they don't like the person, you don't sh like the person. It's just not a good way to navigate it. It's impossible for everybody to get along. And it's going to just create unnecessary drama because a lot of times there's people fighting now that I've seen fighting that I like both the individuals. And I see them fighting in comments and things. And from what I've seen, they seem like both good people, but it's not my business. I don't know what took place. Maybe there's things I'm not aware of. So I just disengage. I don't get involved. And you see how it plays out. For me, I find that to be the best move. And I, and I don't want to... Uh, ever influence somebody where they think, well, you know, I don't want to be like, well, I'm not going to be here if this person's here. I don't ever want to influence somebody. If they're comfortable with people, I want them to be comfortable. I don't want my input to change that at all. Those are all decisions everybody has to make for themselves, who to be friends with, who to be comfortable with, who to engage with. And I don't really like to influence that. Never once on here did I ever tell anybody on here, not on here, through email, through text. I never told anybody, don't talk to this one. Don't interact with this one. If I'm asked my opinion on somebody, I'm very forthcoming. If I don't like somebody, I don't really uh, hold my tongue on it. I'll say I don't like the person. That's it. That's my opinion. This is why I don't like them. That's it. They like, they agree, they agree, they don't, they don't. But that's if I'm asked my opinion. I don't really get into that. It's just, I don't know. I, I've never been like that to force my will or try to convince somebody if I think somebody's bad, that they should think they're bad. People have to figure that out on their own sometimes. And perhaps they will and perhaps they won't. And it's up to you as the individual to decide, can you still be friends with the person who's friends with somebody you may not like? That's all an individual thing, you know? It's all something we can only make a determination for for ourselves. And my style is, as I said, just to disengage. And it's not always easy. I know there's a lot of um, clowns in plain English that are attacking people I do like, attacking Kane Shades, MRE, um, Angel Gotti, Mobland, people that I like that are in We Push Back and I hear nasty comments or attacks. And it's not always easy. You want to get up here and say, hey, screw you, but you know, you, you want to really get up here and, and attack back. But what is that going to solve? To me, it, it doesn't solve anything attacking over a computer. I, I would much rather these individuals, again, take me up on my offer to debate face to face. Come see, you got so much to say. Why not say it to somebody's face? But they don't like to do that. So for me, it doesn't make sense. I, I just try to come on here, do what I can to get the uh, get the word out there about things that I feel are important. And everybody and we push back, that's what they all do. Everybody talks about what's important to them. Everybody puts out information that they find creative and they find entertaining. And that's all we could all do. And we all support each other. All we push back members, they'll always have a voice with me, they want to talk to me, they want to, you know, if I can help them in any way, I can help their channel, if they want me to go on their channel, I always try to help people 
that are in we pushback, people that are good to me, people that aren't degenerates and are good to me, people that are just go overall good people. Now, they may have fighting amongst themselves, but again, that's not my business. Um, it's just not my business. They may have personal beefs going on that I'm just not aware of. And I think that's the key. With everybody and we push back, I think we have to keep it in our head. We don't all have to like each other, but it's important to show support for each other, share each other's information. If you get an opportunity on your page and you have a community tab, just share episodes, get the world out there, just word out there, just work in some kind of unison. That's really the goal. Is it going to work that way? I don't know. I hope so. As we keep growing, maybe we could just work in that kind of faction. And... Um, it's about just finding common ground, ladies and gentlemen. We don't all have to agree on everything, but we do come together on that on that alignment that we think it's unacceptable for lying informants to be on here, abusing people and spreading their propaganda. And we all agree that family and friends and those inf affected should have a voice. And me and MRE spoke about this on his show. It's so important. And, and when I get emails for people looking to open up, I always let them know Maybe they don't like my style, maybe they don't like my approach, whatever it may be. I always let them know there's a network of content creators that they can speak with and they can engage with based on um, maybe having more of a bond with somebody uh, based on their, um, based on how they engage online. Sometimes you get females are more uh, comfortable with other females, so I always let them know they could go to Angel Gotti, they could check out her show, if there's something they want to share with her, she'll definitely help them out. We have somebody for everybody, and I think that's very cool, and I think that's important. I think that's a good way to approach it, where we're opening up this door for voices. It's like opening up a box, and everybody's voice is coming out at the, at the same time, and now we step in, and we're picking whose voice we're going to give a platform to. We're trying to, to appease those who need that voice, those who want to say something back. And down the road, little by little, I'll be doing episodes like that, certain segments, uh, and they may not be that long. I have a few people looking to write me letters where they just want me to read them online in response to certain things that lying informants said on their show. I'm working on a project now with a case with a lying informant on here who has his podcast. I'm going to be reading his minutes from his trial testimony. Uh, the case was actually a little difficult to get. I had to go to the National Archives. That's the first time I had to do that. Normally it's housed on PACER, you can't read it, but you could access who the court reporter was on PACER, and then you have to reach out to the court reporter and order it and pay for it. Uh, PACER doesn't have the actual transcripts. Sometimes they'll house really old ones if they're in electronic format, but normally you got to call the court reporter and order it that way. And this was one of the first cases I had to go to the um, trial transcript. I think the other case uh, that an attorney I'm friendly with told me about, he had to do it when he got one of uh, his client, Carmine Persico's minutes from one of his earlier cases. I think after 20 years or so, it may go to the archives. But uh, I'm just learning that now. That was news to me. I wasn't aware of that process. So once I get those uh, transcripts, once I get that transcript, I'm going to be doing an episode reading that. And I think that'll be, um, and I'll probably put them up on the website as well, the uh, testimony of all the different informants. Uh, the same way I'm doing the newspaper articles for all the different informants, I'm going to do the testimony. And listen, the way I see it, it's fair game. All I see on a lot of these informants' uh, podcasts lately, they're putting up pictures of, of individuals, people that I, uh, family members, they're, using the, they're, they're mocking them. One informant did something trying to say how guilty he is. That's their game. I get it. Listen, that's what they do. Uh, that's their game. 
But one thing I'll never do that they, they seem to do, I'll never go on their pages and I'll never promote what I believe on their page. This That's their world. That's their uh, viewer base. That has nothing to do with me. So I never go on their page. I never make a comment. I never say anything because I'm not going to... I'm not going to go out of my way to interact with them directly. Number one, I just won't interact with them directly. Number two, I don't want them to have any excuse to say I'm I'm uh, stalking them or I'm bothering them. I won't even give them that excuse. Everything I do is on my platform and is on We Pushback members' platforms. It's in our own space. But they'll come on my space. I have a few screen captures from informants making pretty nasty comments directly on my page. So they're going out of their way to come onto my section of YouTube, to come on my channel, which they're entitled to, it's public, they're allowed to do it. Um, but that's a very interesting notation, that's something you want to keep track of. If they're coming on your page, they're making comments, just keep track of that. You never know when you may need that. It's something you want to have record of, and you want memorialized. You never know when you're going to need that. Because unfortunately, as we've seen, and I've seen firsthand with this informant, he just lies after lie. He lies about things I said, lies about things I've done. So right away, you know what you're dealing with. You're dealing with the bottom of the barrel. So you have to just uh, proceed accordingly. When you're dealing with somebody, always remember in life, you can never get hurt as long as you know who you're dealing with. It's only the people that you're not sure of their character and you let them close that could hurt you. But if you know what you're dealing with, you put everything in proper perspective, you can never get hurt by their actions. So that's really it for today. I've uh, got a few things in the um, hopper coming up. I spoke about I'm going to be having uh, attorney Matthew Mari on. He's getting his podcast up and going. So I'm going to have him on. We're going to talk about that. Um, and there's several things in the works. Uh, certain things I'm waiting for the right time to roll out. But there's a lot of things going on that's going to help promote We Push Back. And also, um, I know Angel Gotti is going to be on the Frank Morano show this week. I'm sure she's going to post it to her page, so make sure you check that out. That'll be cool. I wish her all the best with that. I'm sure she'll do phenomenal. And little by little, with all of us doing our own... That's what I like so much, actually, about We Push Back and having all of the different personalities involved. Everybody kind of does their own thing to bring attention to it. And everybody talks about what's important to them and what we push back means to them. And that's really what it boils down to. We all come together and align with the core belief that a lying informant is unacceptable. And we all align with the fact that it's important for the public to see their true personality, to see the lies, and to offer voice to all those impacted. So we come together on that core belief, and then it's really fascinating to see how all the different personalities work on bringing attention to their content, to we push back. And that's what's so great about it, being organic and not having things to have to go through a process where you have all different uh, individuals offering input. It's a standalone operation. Everybody's able to express themselves individually in the best way they see fit and to create content that they're proud of. And that's what I like most. We get to see a little bit of, of everybody when you watch the different channels. You get to see what they're about, their personalities, and their input towards their content and what they want to focus on. And you get entertained. We have um, a whole different variety. Just go to wepushback.com. You'll see all the different channels. And there's a couple members now that asked to be part of it that we're just reviewing to see if it 
if it fits. Um, I think that's it for today. I appreciate everybody taking the time to listen to this episode. Uh, I'm going to hopefully get another episode out a lot sooner than I got this one out. I'd like to do one every two weeks, like bi-weekly. That should be doable. Uh, lately, it's been a little crazy. Got a lot going on, but I'm hoping I could resume back to like a, a bi-weekly type installment. Um, you could always find the, the podcast on all the different platforms. It's on everything from Spotify to Amazon to Pandora. You just search Justice Tech Pros podcast and it will come up so you can listen on it on any format you're most comfortable with. And that's it for today. Till next time. You've been listening to the Justice Tech Pros podcast with Dominic Crea, one of the most unique podcasts on the internet, discussing the obstacles the defense team faces when trying a case, what goes on behind the scenes during pretrial and motion phase, holding defense attorneys accountable, making sure they're fighting for their clients, the difference between textbook law and how things truly play out in a courtroom, and everything in between. And everything in between. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show and we'll be back soon until then find us on twitter facebook and instagram at justice tech pros to email the show with questions and comments it's podcast at justice tech pros.com till next time this is justice tech pros podcast and dominic crea signing off